Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Hey, if you're not already fired up, you need to check your spiritual pulse. Uh, it is a great day uh, today. Anytime we see men and women going down in the waters of baptism, and it's been a great weekend already. Man, I am so fired up to be with you this morning. It is good uh, to be back. Last week, my wife and I uh, went on an anniversary road trip. We went on a little vacation. Our anniversary isn't for a couple weeks, but because kids are going back to school and preparation that goes along with that, we thought we would a little bit early go on a road trip. And it feels like when you go on a road trip with five kids, that at the end, you should get a t-shirt that says, I survived. Uh, I survived, and that's kind of how it feels in the Brooks household. I love my family, but it's pretty intense being on the road. But those trips are really, really important for us. You know, uh, we're celebrating 24 years of marriage. Uh, pretty, pretty happy about that. She still laughs at my jokes, and I still think she's the prettiest woman in the room. Uh, but we probably got our best anniversary gift in year two of our marriage. Someone slipped us this little book. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. It's by Focus on the Family, and it's called Getting Away to Get It Together. Getting Away to Get It Together. And it was a little kind of step-by-step -step guide manual that when you're away, uh, here are some ways that you can reconnect with one another. One of the dynamics of marriage is that you grow, you evolve as people. And we uh, have thanked God over the years for that little book that taught us some skills about how to reconnect. And one of the things that we do on these road trips is we kind of evaluate our priorities. We look at our priorities and we begin to ask, what are the priorities of our lives right now? Where are we investing our time, our talent, and treasure? And what do we believe God wants our priorities to be for the next season. But then we begin to ask even deeper questions, and that is, what is the motivation behind our priorities? Why are we doing what we're doing? There's a word for that, the motivation behind your priorities, and we're going to examine that word today, and that word is ambition. What is your ambition and what drives or motivates what you do? Now, I pray that today you'll listen intently because I do believe that this generation has been given a couple of false messages. And one of those false messages is that we need to pursue ultimately the success, the most success we can find academically in our careers, in our giftings, in our abilities, and that at the height or the pinnacle of our career or those achievements, we will ultimately find happiness. The Bible gives us a different message, and I want to look at that today as we go back into our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. If ever there was a book that was written for a generation, it's this book for this generation. Gen Z is a generation that is like the prophet king here, like the preacher as he refers to himself, is trying to find meaning. They're trying to find meaning under the sun. And uh, like the, the preacher here, so often what the message of Gen Z is, is that I tried that, been there, done that, and it left me empty. It left me exhausted or it left me without meaning. It felt meaningless. 
Now, last week, Pastor Steve talked about the pursuit of pleasure as an ultimate uh, source of meaning, and verse number 11 of chapter 2 kind of sums up where that ended, uh, this pursuit of pleasure that the king undertook to see if that would bring meaning. He, he concluded by saying, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, I pursue hedonism, I pursue pleasure, and it brought me nothing. Ravi Zacharias used to have this saying that there's nothing more exhausting than being exhausted from pleasure. Uh, this sense of amusing ourselves to death, pursuing pleasure as an ultimate end uh, does not ultimately fulfill or satisfy your heart. And so having pursued all the pleasure he could as a man with unlimited resources, he now turns to ambition this sense of striving for success. And he, he looks to success to see, will this ultimately satisfy me? Now there's two definitions that Webster's Dictionary gives for ambition. One is pretty negative, and then one I think we'll find to be universal. First, the negative definition. Ambition is the ardent desire to find fame, power, or position. The ardent desire for fame, for power, or position. This isn't a new definition. The uh, philosopher uh, Nietzsche, the uh, secular philosopher, boiled uh, the, the, the whole meaning of life down to the quest for power. Ultimately, uh, that's what he believed that human beings were ultimately in pursuit of. I pray this isn't true for you, and I certainly pray it's not true for me, that we would examine our motives, and if your motive for doing anything is simply the quest for fame or power or position, I promise you it will leave you empty. You will find yourself totally compromised, not getting the thing that you want, and if you do get the thing you want, it would only be with a wake of uh, de destroyed lives behind you. But then this second definition is the one that I'm really interested in, and this is one that's pretty universal, and that is ambition being the desire to achieve a particular end or goal. The desire to achieve a particular end or goal. Now this is something that all of us share, and I don't believe that the Bible warns us against having that type of ambition, but here's what it does warn us against, is having that type of ambition apart from God. This is exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to understand. The big idea of today's passage is simply this, that, that God alone is supreme, that God is supreme. And so if we're going to direct our ambition anywhere and find meaning and purpose, joy and fulfillment, it has to be under the sovereignty of a holy and awesome God. Look at what he says. He opens up in verse number 12 and says, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what, he is already, only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Now on the surface, this may sound a lot like chapter one, this pursuit of intellectualism as a God, as the ultimate source of meaning. But he's not just pursuing wisdom, if you read this carefully, as an end unto itself. No, he's pursuing wisdom or living life skillfully as a means for uh, accelerating achievement. 
He wants to see what can I achieve if I live life skillfully as opposed to not being thoughtful, as opposed to being foolish. And so he kind of observes society and he comes to this conclusion in verse number 14. And the conclusion is, is that the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. In other words, wisdom, living life, receiving wisdom is better than living life as a fool. You're a fool if you ignore wisdom. You're a fool if you ignore instruction. And you know what the difference is? He says, listen, wise people can see they have eyes in their head, but a fool walks in darkness only to stumble, fall, or hurt themselves. If you're a person in here who, because of pride or because of carelessness or lack of thoughtfulness, if you're a person who's decided you're going to ignore everyone's wisdom, the best instructions being given to you, maybe ignoring the generation that's come before you or people who have lived life longer than you, if you've decided that, then you would fall in the category of a biblical fool. And at the end of the day, it's only going to leave you hurt and anyone attached to you hurt. Be careful if you're single not to marry a fool, somebody who ignores wisdom because they will destroy your life. Be careful if you're getting in business not to get a, a business partner who's a fool, who ignores wisdom, who has so much pride in themselves that they don't receive wisdom because ultimately it will hurt you and destroy you. Be careful being connected to the fool or even worse, being the fool. Wisdom is better than folly. How many have discovered that? How many have discovered that? But yet he goes on to tell us something even deeper, and that is that even wisdom does not ultimately satisfy, though it can allow you to achieve a lot. Well, Pastor Chris, where do you get this whole sense of achievement? Well, it's from what he says in verse number 12. He says, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. See, he's the king. This is King Solomon who is writing, and what he wants you to know is that I apply wisdom so well that I reach the pinnacle of my profession. I reach the height of my career. I reach the ultimate level of success. If we were to find the preacher, the teacher, the writer of this passage today, we would not encounter a man who was on the front end of his career. We wouldn't even encounter somebody who was midway through their career. No, we would find somebody on top. This sense of rugged individualism, this sense of I, this, this ideal, this Western ideal that, that I can accomplish a lot with my own strength and my own ability, and he was doing it all for himself, and he succeeded. This is the Michael Phelps of swimming. This is the Jeff Bezos of, 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 of business. This is the Warren Buffett of investing. This is the Charles Spurgeon of preaching. He's at the height of his profession. He's at the pinnacle of his career. He's at the ultimate level of success. Now, let me stop here and ask this question. What do you think that would ultimately bring? What do you think it would bring to be at the head of the class academically? What do you think? Do you think that would bring joy? Do you think that would bring satisfaction and fulfillment to be the CEO of the company, to be uh, leading head and shoulders above your peers? To be able to say like the king says that anybody who comes after me can only repeat what I've done, but they can never top what I've done. 
I think about some of these Olympic athletes who are young, I mean, 16, 17, 18, and that they're, they're at the top of their profession, and I wonder where in the world do they go from there, and what does that feel like? In this generation, I wish I had a room full of Gen Zs because this generation has been taught or sold this bill of goods that, that somehow if you just achieve like previous generations, builders or Gen Xers, if you just achieve that you'll ultimately find satisfaction. And what they're doing is going out, trying it, and coming back to us and said, I tried the academics, I've tried pleasure, I've tried career success, and it did not work. So here's the question. Why don't accomplishments ultimately bring satisfaction? Look at what he says in the rest of this verse and then going into verse 16, he says, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. Notice what he says. He says, you know, I reached the pinnacle of my profession. I, I reached the head of the class academically. I achieved all of this success. And you know what? At the end, I climbed the ladder and I felt like I was empty. I felt, I felt despair. I felt like this wasn't what I thought it would be. I thought that when I got to the top, I thought when I got the position that my heart was craving that I would ultimately be satisfied, but I wasn't. But let me save some of you a whole lot of trouble. Let me save some of you, I pray, a whole lot of pain. You got two ways you can live life. Either you can live life and experience everything yourself or you can listen to those who have experienced it already and trust their wisdom. And the wisdom of this particular king is that I've tried. I've tried what it means to make success and achievement and ambition your God, and I will promise you that it will end in despair. Two reasons why it ended in despair. First is because death is coming. What he ultimately concluded when he looked at the narrative is that even though I feel better or smarter than the fool, we're ultimately gonna end the same. The fool dies and I die. Think about it, friends. Who are the wisest people that we have known in the world? Think about Socrates or Plato or Aristotle or Alexander the Great. You name the philosopher. You name the wise among us. All of them have died. And what he ultimately concludes is that you work hard to amass all of this stuff, to achieve all of this stuff, and it only ends in death. And more than likely, you pass down an inheritance to somebody who doesn't have your values and gonna squander it anyway, that ends in despair. And then he switches from despair to a second reason why all of this is meaningless. He says, because uh, you're gonna be forgotten anyway. At the end of it, he says, in the days uh, to come, all will have been long forgotten. You know, over the years, one of the uh, friends that I've had is Alveda King. Some of you maybe have heard 
of her uh, before, or at least her last name. She's the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. And uh, part of what she's done to keep his legacy alive is to be able to go and visit uh, elementary schools and to talk to kids. And she says to me one time, Chris, you'd be amazed at what these kids think about my uncle. Many of them have no idea who he was. And so she walks into a room and she asks these kids, how many know who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is? And some hands go up and then she begins to ask them, well, what did he do? And she he gets all of these answers. He's the one who freed the slaves, right? And, uh, and these kids have no idea who he was. They don't know if he was a businessman or a prophet or what. And it's because over time, even the great accomplishments that you think will never be forgotten ultimately are forgotten. There will come a generation that won't remember who you are. It's interesting, recently the NBA had a draft and all of these newcomers are coming into the NBA and one of the things uh, that NBA Films did that was kind of funny is they asked these incoming players about some of these Hall of Famers and, uh, and they didn't even know who they were. Some of these greats that built the game, they don't even know who they are. And here is this king who says, why did I work so hard? Why did I live so diligently, I listened to the wisdom that was prevailing in my day. Do this and don't do that. And if you want to achieve, apply yourself here and work hard. And all of it left me in despair. And it wasn't a despair that he had to experience. It was a despair that he experienced because all of his ambition was for himself. My friends, when ambition becomes our God, it leaves us in a place of emptiness. When ambition becomes our God, you know what you get? You get this concept called, called nihilism. We're gonna go into this in future weeks in much deeper, but what nihilism really posits is there is no ultimate meaning to life. Look at verse number 17. Look at what he says here. He says, so I hated life. Because what, because what is done under the sun was grievous for me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. Now remember, I told you one of the interpretive keys of this entire book is this phrase, under the sun. Anytime you read that phrase, under the sun, he is reminding you of the scope of his examination. He's examined ambition under the sun, meaning without God. From the, what does the world look like from the sun down as if you didn't have anything from the sun up? And so he's looking at what life looks like apart from God and ambition apart from God leaves you empty on the inside is his conclusion. And all of us to that should say a big amen. If you've experienced that, if you've experienced the heights of that, then you know what he's talking about. But ambition given to God, surrendering your time, your talent, your treasure to the Lord, my friends, will bring purpose and fulfillment. Why? Because God is supreme. He is the maker of you and me. He is the giver of purpose and meaning. And when you surrender yourself fully to him, it will bring him glory and it will work for the ultimate good of people and it will endure forever. Why? 
Because the ultimate reason for despair that he gives is death. But what do we find in Jesus? It is that he shares his victory with us. What we ultimately find in Jesus, if death is the ultimate enemy, how many praise God that Jesus has conquered death and that all life is in him. And so we don't have to fear death in Christ. In him, when we turn to him in faith, when we repent of leading our own lives and letting ambition and success and pleasure be our God, and when we turn to him in repentance and humility and faith and say, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from being Lord of my life. Save me from a generation of despair. Then he gives us the ultimate victory over death. You know, this... uh, this vacation that my wife and I took, maybe the, uh, the highlight of it was my wife waking me up one morning midweek with a surprise gift. She says, how would you like to go visit the NFL Hall of Fame to see some of your favorite players inducted into the Hall of Fame? Fellas, let me just say she didn't have to ask twice. She only had to ask once. I said, absolutely. So we got in the car and we uh, drove to Canton, Ohio. Anybody ever visit Canton, Ohio before? Anybody ever visit there? There is nothing in Canton, Ohio but the Hall of Fame, and that's all right with me. So we get there, and some of my favorite players are inducted in the Hall of Fame. I got a chance to hear the Hall of Fame speech of Peyton Manning and Calvin Johnson, who played for uh, the Lions, and Charles Woodson, and you know, a number of other great players. It was awesome. We're getting a chance to meet people. I got a chance to bump into uh, Marcus Allen, one of my favorite football players of all time, and John Lynch, and, and all these great players. But what was really interesting listening to them give their, their speeches is that none of them really referenced their football accomplishments. All of them talked about the deeper things of life. And it left me wondering at the end of it all if all of those accomplishments really gave them the satisfaction that they were hoping for. Then I ran across this clip that I want to show you today. It's from a TV show. Uh, Some of you have heard of Bear Grylls. He's this outdoorsman, and he has this wonderful show called Running in the Wild with Bear Grylls, where he takes celebrities on these these, uh, outdoor adventures to see if they can actually do it, all these tough guys. And it leads to all of these really transparent and deep conversations. Well, he took primetime, Deion Sanders, who was like a man's man. He took him out, and uh, if you don't know who Deion Sanders is, that's a sin. You should repent. Uh, but, but Deion Sanders is this very accomplished athlete, and I just want you to hear from his own words what he feels his uh, athletic success brought him and where he ultimately turned for purpose. Watch this clip. Deion is the only man in history to play in both the Super Bowl and the World Series. He dominated both sports for more than a decade, earning himself two Super Bowl rings and a spot in the Hall of Fame. So out of all of the sporting moments, what was your greatest, do you think? Do you ever think about those or do you not really? Honestly, man, behind the veil, behind the mask, I'm really different than my public persona. My public persona is prime time, you know? So like, even like when you won the Super Bowl and stuff? When I won the Super Bowl, when I won my first Super Bowl, what did he do? I was the first one on the bus, first one to bed. I didn't even go to party. It was something missing inside, man. It wasn't 
fulfilling as I thought it was. And it, it wasn't about the things, the outward things, because I had um, power, money, and, and sex, but it wasn't fulfilling. So you had all of that power, money, in sex, and it was it just it was empty as an empty feeling still, still empty. So what happened? That's when I went through my my first divorce, in which the only things that I knew that truly loved me were my two kids. Now they're gone. Now they've been taken away. Because you lost custody of your kids. It was devastating, and I went through suicidal thoughts, a suicidal period. I, I ran um, this car off the side of the highway and was at the bottom. I thought it would just, the car would flip, it didn't flip. And I was still there. And I was like, man. Hmm. Shortly after that, I had to just come to the Lord with my hands up, say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. So like all of that power, money, sex, didn't empty. give you what your, your empty. faith has. Mm -mm. Empty, emptiness. There's a great power to being able to achieve amazing things mm -hmm. and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. That's it. And you know, we share a faith together. You know, it's like a backbone to me as well. And it's like all the achievements and the summits and they're, they're nothing compared to, right. you know, that's something inside. It's a beautiful conversation. Praise God for that conversation. Two men who are talking about common faith who have achieved a whole lot. Love what Bear Grylls says. There is a power in being able to achieve great things, but to hold them lightly because you have something far greater on the inside of you. Never pursue ambition as an end unto itself. It will only lead to despair. Here he is uh, in Super Bowls and World Series and wanting to commit suicide. You know, I want to give you a picture of what it looks like as a young person to take the opposite path, to surrender your time, talent, and treasure to the Lord. And I want to bring up a friend. Some of you know the name Daniel Park. Daniel was discipled here at Woodside, served here at Woodside for many years. We launched a ministry endeavor a few years ago called the Woodside Global 100, where over the next 10 years, our passion is to send out 100 young adults uh, to the mission field to be able to invest their time, talent, and treasure. Daniel is serving in South Asia and uh, he's home for a little visit, and I thought it'd be good for him to come up and just give us a big update. Can we give a hand to the Lord as Daniel comes and joins us on stage? It's good to see you, brother. Appreciate you. You know, Daniel, um, as you think about what this past year has been like, give us an update on what God has been doing in your life. Yeah, Pastor Chris, thank you for the opportunity. And I just want to say thank you um, to uh, those of you that have been praying for me. It hasn't been an easy season, um, but God has been working uh, in and through our community. And so I just want to say thank you for you and praying. I just want to read from the Word of God. Um, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Um, Luke records this, and these are the words of Paul. And he says this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's two things that really stand out to me. Number one, Paul says, um, as the writer of Ecclesiastes echoes, that he doesn't account his life of any value or precious. 
Okay, and the second thing is this, and the second thing is that he says his purpose is to testify to the gospel of Jesus. And that's simply what I want to do. That's simply what I want to do in the country that I serve. Um, you know, COVID has hit our country in a really unique way. Uh, there are many folks that have passed away within our community. You know, and there's one particular brother, his name is Samuel, that I want to share a quick story with you about. Um, he's been serving with us for over 15 years. He's been um, with our church from the very beginning, super faithful servant, served in many different capacities, uh, young guy, two kids. Um, and one, one week he started to develop a cough, and the next week uh, the Lord took him home. And it was really tough. And, um, but there's one, this, this one moment that I want to share with you about. Uh, it was during his his burial, when we were burying him, um, we gave some guys the opportunity to share about him. And there's this one particular brother, young guy about my age, and, um, you know, uh, he had been discipled by Samuel. And there's this one phrase that he said that stuck out to me and that really spoke to me. He just simply said this. He says, Samuel was always there for me, and he, he made me love Jesus more. And... And that's just simply what I want to do. And the brute reality is this, is that we know where Samuel is because he knew, he knew the Lord. He, he's with the Lord now, and uh, God healed him perfectly. But the brute reality is that hundreds of thousands of people died from COVID, and a lot of them never got to hear the name of Jesus once. And there's millions perishing without ever getting a chance to even hear the name of Jesus or responding to the gospel. So what God's really been teaching me, Pastor Chris, is that, man, we got a lot of work to do, and, yeah. and we got to get busy, and um, yeah. yeah, and I'm so glad the church is behind our mission. Yeah, praise God for you. You know, I don't know if you have a life verse. My life verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and the Apostle Paul says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's what it means to surrender our time, talent, treasure to the Lord. And when we do, God makes much of our lives for his purpose and for his glory. How many can join me in praying for Daniel uh, this morning? We're going to pray, but I want you to stand. And as we pray for him, I really want to call you, especially if you're a young adult in here, to surrendering your life to the Lord today. Don't wait. Do it now. Or maybe you find yourself where the king found himself at the end or the pinnacle of your career or your abilities, and you say, man, I need more purpose, meaning in my life. I'm telling you, the fountain of all of that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for Daniel. He's going to also be at our Central Connect desk. If you're a young person in here and you want to find out more about the Woodside Global 100, please stop and, and shake his hand and just find out more. But being in the mission field isn't easy, but God is with you, and when you're living for him, you can know for sure that his grace is with you. Let's pray. Can you extend forth your hands as a sign of unity? Father, thank you so much for my brother. Thank you, Lord, for how you have shaped his life, and thank you for the passion and the burden of his heart, the ambition of his heart to know you and to make you known. I pray, the Lord, that in the midst of all the trials that he would see Jesus exalted, and that many would come to faith in you. But I do join him in praying for this fellowship that we would recognize that many are entering into eternity without a savior. And may that help us to be more generous, more compassionate, to live to serve, and to be your faithful witnesses in our neighborhoods, in our communities, on our jobs, in our families, and yes, Lord, to the ends of the earth. Father, we surrender it all to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. And amen. 
I'm going to let Daniel head back, but as we get ready to close, again, my prayer for all of us is that we would not make ambition our God, but that we would surrender all to Jesus, and when we do, we'll experience his grace and his glory in an amazing way. Listen, God bless you guys. I'm going to dismiss you now. Go forth, serve Jesus, and have a great week. Amen? Can we give God praise? Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.